I'm Brittany. And I'm Heather. Welcome to OKS Moms, the podcast. A place to be more than just mom. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of OKS Moms, the podcast. Heather here. And Brittany over here. Our guest today is Dr. Kermit Jones. He is running for Congress in our district, which is the California 3rd. And the district has recently been redrawn, and so that kind of changes things a little bit. And we are one of the last Republican-led holdouts in all of California. And the primary was literally neck and neck. I think the difference was like 2,000 votes or something. So this has been a really exciting campaign for us to watch in our own backyards. Oh, can I tell you how cool my kids think I am because we interviewed him? We've had his sign out in our yard for, I don't know, months now, and they just think it's the coolest thing. <laughs> and one thing about his campaign is it's been a very grassroots campaign that's utilized a lot of college-aged interns. His campaign headquarters is just right around the corner from a local community college, and they've really harnessed the power of the younger voter, and they have... What's the word? I want to say militarized, but that's not it. (laughs) I'm leaving that in. (laughs) They have inspired them in a way that has, I haven't seen in a campaign in this area ever in the last 20 years that I've lived here. And they have teenagers coming and knocking on doors. They've knocked on my doors several times, which I am just, I'm just like so in awe of. And I'm, I keep trying to tell them like, I've, I have the sign in the yard. You don't have to keep knocking. It's okay. And, but just the fact that they're not forgetting those voters too. this, they're still reminding you, you know, please go vote. Please make sure you fill out your ballots and return them. And they just haven't quit. And I, I think that's so impressive. Yeah, it's cool. I honestly, it gives me anxiety to think about doing that. And the fact that they're out there doing it and doing the work and helping in a way that it actually makes change is just so cool. Agreed. All right, so let's take a quick break and we will be back with Dr. Kermit. We've all heard the research on how learning a second language is good for a child's cognitive development, but that can feel overwhelming for busy parents who only speak one language. Of course, we want to expose our children to everything, but knowing where to start can be a challenge. Enter our new podcast sponsor, FepiBox. FepiBox is a monthly subscription box designed for children three to six to learn Spanish in a fun, interactive way. Fepi's philosophy is learning by immersion, exposing the kids to Spanish and English through original books, music, and play. And don't worry, parents don't have to be bilingual to help their kids learn Spanish with Fepi. Each monthly box includes a game, song, and a new Fepi book, an exclusive video audiobook that can be used for pronunciation support and hours of entertainment, listening, and watching in two languages. We've heard from so many of you that you value experience gifts over another loud, colorful toy, and FepiBox is just that. To purchase a FepiBox subscription, go to FepiBox.com, and OKS Moms listeners can use code OKSMOM20 for 20% off your first box in your subscription. That's FepiBox, F-E-P-P-Y, box.com and code OKSMOM20 for 20% off your first box in your subscription. Hi, Dr. Kermit. Welcome to our show. 
Hi, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, of course. Um, I am the father of eight-year-old and three-year-old. Um, so at least by proxy, I, I can tell uh, what some of the moms here are going through, at least by the supportive aspect of it. Um, husband for 10 years, um, someone who has been a physician uh, for about 18 years, but I wanted to be a doctor since I was eight, following my mom around, um, who was a great example of a working mom. You know, she had two little kids and, and two jobs that she was doing at the same time. And my dad, uh, who was a chemist for a while and then became a farmer, you know, we only saw him on weekends because his job was about five hours away. So um, I'm someone who I think, you know, has had, I, I think, quite a lot of time to kind of listen to and hear the issues of not just my patients, but a lot of people in the community. And so that's one of the reasons I decided to run. You know, I feel that uh, we have a lot of major issues that you know, people are looking for leadership and experience on. Uh, a lot of the leadership training I got was in the military as a physician, uh, Navy doctor with the Marine Helicopter Squadron. Um, and so these are things that I think, you know, kind of give me this opportunity to help people kind of fight for the things that they know that they need you know, whether it's for their families or for themselves. So you're running for Congress in California's third congressional district, which has recently been redrawn. Do you do the new lines change how you're running this campaign or the makeup of the voter you're trying to reach? It doesn't run the way that I'm uh, it doesn't change the way that I'm running my campaign. Uh, we're still running the same grassroots campaign that's uh, energizing a lot of young people, uh, making sure that we protect the vulnerable. Uh, pull in uh, people that know that their um, uh, issues are being directly affected or, and are literally on the ballot uh, this time around. Uh, but it has changed, I think, the way that this district is looked at. So before this was a district, uh, I mean, actually, it's it's kind of put together from about four different districts prior to this. But each one of those districts uh, had its own demographics and makeup. And the majority of what this district used to be, which was California's fourth, was a pretty red district, you know, in the sense of registration. Um, and so in that instance, it wasn't really that competitive. And so after redistricting in December, and it got a good eight and a half points bluer, and that registration gap shrunk, it really lended itself to an opportunity for people to, you know, go out on the trail, and now the largest district in California, um, and actually compete for people's votes. You know, one of the things I consistently heard from people is, regardless of what their political persuasion was, a lot of people felt that their representative that they had, whether it was McClintock or Lamalfo, wasn't specifically addressing the issues that they felt were the most important in their lives. And so I think there's an opportunity to have a reset and try that again. I love that. You mentioned energizing a younger population and I've seen your TikToks. Uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about why this is important to the campaign. Well, I'll be honest. I can't say that I'm the, the brainchild of our TikToks. I'm just the guy that's being followed along. Uh, and, you know, we have uh, phenomenal interns, college students, post-college grads uh, that are out there. And I think they are the, the energy and the excitement. And quite honestly, they're our future, um, you know, from when we're all excited for those of us that have been fortunate enough to be able to, to have kids and those kids, you know, come out, we're nurturing them and they're growing. And then you see that young energy uh, in those 20-somethings. And I think it's because they are uh, still in that idealistic phase um, where they know that they can actually do things and make the world a different place. And they have a direct stake in it because whereas I'm doing everything I can uh, for my children and, and your children and, and a lot of the people that are 
by patients, they're also doing things for the future that they know they'll have here, um, as well as what they'd like to have with respect to, you know, purchasing a home, paying for their education, starting their own families. So it's just, it's so exciting to see them engaged. You know, I always mention the lessons I learned in the military. I spent five years active duty. And while there are those things that I think people see, whether it's, you know, raising your right hand and to protect our democracy and these other types of things, unfortunately, there are also those things that we see in countries that, you know, we luckily don't see here. So I tell people when I was in Iraq two times, I saw what a civil war looks like. I saw what, what, I saw what happens when a democracy breaks down. Um, so for me to have the young people this engaged gives me hope that we have people that are going to fight for our democracy and fight to continue those things that we know we need moving in the progress direction that we have with respect to our country and securing rights for everybody. It's been really exciting to see. So I'm out in West Roseville, which is kind of a purpley area, but they're, the reds are very, very dark red and very yeah. loud and proud. Very and, loud red. <laughs> yeah, loud red. And it's been so, we've, I've had them come to my door a couple times, and it's been so great to see how confident they are because I would be so afraid to, that I would be knocking on the wrong door and, you know, have, wouldn't have anything to back up what I was saying or engage in a debate. And so it's just, it's been really exciting to see them out here. Yeah, no, it's exciting to see them in the office as well. I mean, it's humbling. You know, I tell uh, the rest of my team, you know, my wife and I decided to do this at the dinner table last July. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. You know, like I said, I've been a doctor. Um, I worked on policy, veterans, healthcare issues for Secretary Sebelius. You know, I've been a military officer, but I've never been a politician. And, you know, while some people may look at that as, well, you know, that's maybe a drawback, I actually look at it as a bonus, you know, because when you look at the people that we send to Congress repeatedly, um, you know, there's one party out of power and they're begging to get back in and they always say, hey, look, we're going to stick it to the other side and be a check. And the same old thing happens for, for the most part. And a lot of people are kind of left more and more frustrated. Um, but what we're seeing right now in our district are people that are believing that the process can work. And they feel confident, uh, those young people, that when I get in there, they're going to have the same level and ability to engage in me that they do right now in terms of talking to me, making sure that we're focusing on those things that they care about. So out on the campaign trail, what are voters in our district like, what are their main concerns and how are you going to address them? Yeah, some of the things I hear pretty frequently is they want someone who takes their concerns seriously uh, and tries to give them local control, which is very important. Um, they want someone that's going to help the federal government understand that there's some parts of our district in which it's 70 to 90 percent federally owned land and what that means to be good stewards of that land. Uh, there are also people in our district who are very worried about their Medicare and their social security uh, or their health insurance in general. You know, I was just, just had breakfast with a gentleman today in our district that was talking about how, you know, he voted for Obama because he had a pre-existing condition, you know, that his mom had uh, gone into bankruptcy trying to pay for her uh, medical care when she had stage four melanoma. These were issues that he tried to talk to um, uh, the representative that we had at the time and just didn't listen to him. So people want to feel heard. They want to feel listened to. If you go see your physician or your healthcare provider um, and you tell him or her all of your concerns and they walk back out as if they didn't hear you, you would be offended. You'd be hurt. You'd feel as if you didn't get uh, what you deserved out of that meeting. 
That's what's happening to a lot of people in our political process. You know, we have politicians that can spew off uh, the national talking points, but can't tell you three things people in the district really need. We need a federal fire insurance plan. You know, we are, uh, you know, feeling the brunt of a lot of bad climate policy for decades, uh, and it's threatening our homes. It's threatening our air quality. We need real measures on the droughts. Um, and again, I go back to people need affordable health care, affordable insurance in these times in which, you know, costs are so high. And those are the things I'm going to fight for my first term in office. When, like you said, when it's a career politician who's been in office for so long, which is what most of this district is used to, yeah. I'm sure it's a welcome change to have someone who's actually interested in hearing what their issues are. Yeah. I mean, and it goes to both sides. You know, I had a lady, I was at the Auburn um, uh, kind of community farm uh, event about six months ago. And I was walking around kind of handing out my flyers, trying to meet people. And um, the lady, she saw my flyer, she looked at it and she asked me, well, what party are you? And I said, well, ma'am, I'm a Democrat. And so then she starts to hand me the flyer back. And she said, well, I don't vote for Democrats. And I said, well, ma'am, that's fine. You know, this is a democracy. But, you know, when I went to Iraq twice, I went to Iraq for Democrats, Republicans, independents. Uh, I went there to protect our democracy. So I really feel that your issues are my issues. And so she took the flyer and then she said, OK, well, I'll tell you my issues. You know, and after we talked about the fact that she said she had given money uh, for a permit for her um, olive um, uh, bottling company and had never gotten the permit after six months. You know, I listened to her on that. And that was a state issue that I told her, look, if I get in office, I'd love to talk to the governor's office about the efficiency of some of the agencies here. And after that, she was following me around the farmer's market, telling me the rest of her issues. You know, I mean, so I don't think people are as partisan as we sometimes think they are. Uh, they are just, I think, frustrated because people haven't listened to them. And they're ready to actually have someone that believes in them and thinks that we can work together and get things done. I love that. So the primary results had you and your opponent just a few thousand votes separating you. It was neck and neck. Are you seeing that same division play out on the campaign trail? I mean, you have this story of of one person, but is that has that been are you finding that the more you reach out to people that you can break through or has it been a little harder than you'd expect? I think the more that we reach out to people, we really do break through. I mean, we've had um, events, uh, meet and greets that were hosted by independents, hosted by Republicans. We had one that was hosted by a Republican at the Folsom Chamber of Commerce three or four months ago that was standing room only. Um, and so I think people are curious. I mean, look, there are unfortunately always going to be those people that see something on the national uh, and may say that that's going to be the biggest concern for them. But there are a lot of people, and this is why between one in five to one in three or 20 to 30 percent of the people in this district are registered as declined to state. Excuse me, because they're not ready to just pick a side uh, and be kind of pigeonholed into one specific set or, or litany of things that a party may describe as its platform. Uh, they're ready to listen. Uh, they're ready to uh, make a choice based upon what they feel. And I think when we're out there talking to people, um, that's what's shining through. I was at a a sawmill um, a few months ago in the northern parts of our district, where a fair number of the men that were in there I was talking to were Republicans, registered Republicans. And about a third of them walked out of there saying that they were supporting me. And a lot of them were veterans. But I think a lot of veterans understand that, you know, when we raised our right hand uh, to protect our democracy and our constitution, that wasn't for a particular party. You know, patriotism 
doesn't have party. You know, patriotism is what you feel in your heart and what you do. And so because of those things, I think it's going to be a pretty close race. And I do feel that we have a real chance of winning. I'm glad to hear that. I love it. Everything has been so divisive, the last, especially the last two years. It is so nice to just make nuance great again. So speaking of divisive, uh, <laughs> your opponent is endorsed by former President Trump and has supported the big lie that the 2020 election was stolen. Are you preparing for a recount or legal action or anything crazy like that? Uh, what I'm preparing for is we have a debate uh, coming this uh, Thursday at 7.30 on KCRA 3. Um, that'll be the first opportunity that um, my opponent decided that he was going to show up uh, and actually talk on stage with us. He's had multiple opportunities before that. Um, and I think a lot of people don't really know who my opponent is. And that's not me being partisan. You know, there was a great article in the SAC B this weekend that talked about how, you know, he had uh, certain positions in 2007 when he was at Harvard and I was in Iraq and he has completely different positions now. Um, and so what I think a lot of people are looking for uh, is authenticity, uh, integrity, leadership. And it's really, I think, hard for someone to say that they have those things uh, if they're willing to jump from one political boat to the next, you know, as long as it seems like one is floating better than the one that he just jumped off of. So, you know, I don't uh, think this is going to be a situation in which there's a lot of legal battles and things back and forth. I think it's going to be a close race, but I do think it's going to be one where people want to move forward and the people that want to move forward away from this very device, divisive uh, error of Trump and the big lie uh, and just want to get things done for our businesses, want to get things done for our communities versus the ones that I think want to perpetuate these fights that haven't really gotten anything done. You know, there are multiple ways in which we can see that things didn't get better uh, under the Trump administration. Things got significantly worse. I mean, you know, he increased the debt by $1.7 trillion. I mean, that's not me just saying that as a political number. That's data that's actually out there. Um, and so I think when we look at where we've been and where people want to go, that's where things are going to come out and how we're going to win. So glad to hear that. It's <laughs> it's not um, hard to kind of connect your opponent to whatever rising star. He, he's, he's just grabbing coattails at this point. And it's, I think most people can recognize that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to run for five offices in five years, uh, you know, write a book about losing. Uh, you know, cost the taxpayers $230 million, which, I mean, he's kind of made himself the the standard bearer of the California gas tax um, while having no real uh, accomplishments on gas, on refineries, on energy uh, while in the assembly. So, you know, I think people are ready for someone who's willing to walk the walk, not just talk the talk. Absolutely. And I, yeah, we're we're done with the Fox News sound bites. He can move on to <laughs> it's, something else. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it really doesn't take much to see the contrast. I've speaking <laughs> of speaking of political ads and how much they cost, I've noticed that Kevin Kiley has been running one on repeat. And I just can't help but laugh. I mean, obviously I have liberal leaning progressive views, no. but it's just it's just <laughs> it's just so blatantly obvious who he's pandering to. I mean, he makes such a stark 
he's trying to compare you and Nancy Pelosi that, you know, and of course, Nancy's just the devil and all of these things. And it's just, but it's just so over the top that it's almost like an SNL skit. And it's like, how are, how is this working? And you're paying this much money for this? It's just, it's well, just. I mean, there's, there's so many layers to it. I mean, there's the obvious lie to it, which multiple media outlets have painted, uh, posted. Two, it's also, I think, an admission on his part. I mean, he's not, the one thing I can say, I can say a lot of things about Kevin Kiley. He's not an idiot. Uh, I mean, he went to Harvard, he went to Yale. You know, he may be, I think, misguided on a lot of things, but he's not an idiot. He may be self-interested, but he's not an idiot. Uh, and I say all that to say it's an omission, in my opinion, that he has no real plan uh, outside of he wants to do whatever's going to help Kevin Kiley, you know, whether it's costing us $200 million, which I did the math. That would have you know, for the guy that's basically the, the Don Quixote of the gas tax out here, you know, that would have paid for about 60 million gallons of gas, you know, enough gas for about a quarter of the people in this district for six months. So if you have no plan, uh, you have no real leadership experience, then it looks like you run on lies. Uh, and so I think that that's not 51% of the people in our district that are going to respond to that. And he's going to see that the next time for the seventh office that he runs for, uh, he needs to actually come with some real substance to actually, uh, you know, close the deal. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, when you win, we want to be invited to the party. Oh, you're already done. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so you are the father of two, like you mentioned. What inspired you to run drinks? What can be such a demanding phase of life? And how does parenthood shape your view on the issues? Well, Heather, those are the reasons I ran. Um, you know, my mom, my kids, uh, Many people have seen the story that I put on our website, and it's 100% the truth. My mom uh, was a nurse for 30 years. I, I tear up every single time I talk about her because she's someone who, who saw um, people's health problems and then tried to make sure that she took care of herself, took care of her family. Um, she browbeat me to get a colonoscopy at 33. You know, <laughs> nobody does that, you know, unless you were like, well, you know, you had family members that had colon cancer. So, you know, she was someone that did everything right, so to speak, and was still diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, um, you know, at a period in which she was young and spry and moving around uh, and had a horrible time in our healthcare system. Um, and I, I say I'm, I'm, and, you know, she, it would have been a lot worse than the four and a half years that she survived, but for the fact that she had a doctor as a son. And I say I'm running for my family because I see kind of the the healthcare system that she was in, which we have a lot of good actors, a lot of hard workers, but we have a lot of people in government that don't understand the tools that we need. And I look at my kids, um, I think about, you know, your kids and and our parents and, and people that have loved ones. And I say, I don't want this to happen to someone else. You know, I don't want someone's children to be in this situation. I don't want someone's parents to be in this situation. And like maybe the two of you, you may be in the sandwich generation right now, you know, where we're trying to take care of our little ones and take care of our parents at the same time. So I think a lot of people can relate to these types of things, these real life issues. And we need someone who's gone through this uh, and came out on the other side, willing to fight for people to fight for us. And that's what made me decide to run. It's just wanting to do something for my patients and my family and for my community. Well, I'm certainly excited to see younger people running for office again who are, you know, at the same stage of life as me, because someone like Tom McClintock doesn't understand what it's like to have a eight and seven year old and need all the different things that they need and what that requires of me. And so it's nice to know that there's somebody out there who 
has an idea of what that's like. Oh, definitely. No, we're going through it together. <laughs> so I do want to ask, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. How has it been for your wife? Because I can't help but think that all of this is possible because of her. If you have a three and an eight-year-old, I have an eight-year-old, Brittany has an eight-year-old. So we know that although they're semi-independent, they still need a lot of help. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure both of you have seen those instances where there's like a big company or like some investment bank or whatever, and there's a big silent partner that's kind of making sure everything's still running. That's my wife. You know, she's, she, she's the underwriter of this campaign, so to speak, because Kind of to your point, you know, I see what happens when she um, unfortunately, you know, got sick a few months ago for a few days and so could not take care of the kids like she was doing. So it's kind of a reminder. I mean, everything stopped. You know, I couldn't go to the office. I couldn't do these other things. I had to take care of the kids. I had to drive people around. It's like, oh, well, now you have to do the job that your wife's been doing for the last 15 months, you know, in order to keep the campaign afloat. Um, and so it, it is uh, the truth, at least from what I've seen for people that have families, you know, I mean, people like to see the pictures of the families and stuff like that. But people forget sometimes that the ability for that candidate to be there and fight for those issues is because they have a willing partner um, that's supporting uh, on the back end and isn't seen, um, but is definitely crucial. So, you know, it's been challenging. It's definitely been hard, um, but I'm very grateful to have her as a partner on this. We'll give her a big thank you for us because we can only imagine how hard that is. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I definitely will. And I, I get excited when I'm at events and people say, thank you, but thank your wife. And I was like, thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> Deserves it for sure. Yes. So before we let you go, can you tell our audience how they can help with your campaign and donate? Definitely. Um, well, first, I, I want to thank uh, the two of you for just having me on. I love these opportunities to talk to constituents, talk to people um, on the trail, even if it's virtually. Uh, the ways that they can help is to continue to get engaged. Um, if they want to knock on doors, a canvas, if they want to phone bank, uh, those are all opportunities for them. They can come to our headquarters at 5050 Rockland Road in Rockland. Um, we also have uh, offices in Nevada as well in Folsom. Um, and then also, they can go to KermitJonesForCongress.com and contribute. You know, before I ran for office, I'd helped a few campaigns, but I didn't realize that it can take millions of dollars. And that's because, you know, for the people that have seen our ads, those ads cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get on TV. So $5, $25, $50, whatever you can afford really makes a difference. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have publicly funded campaigns. I wish we did. Um, but, you know, because we don't, I spend about 80% of my time uh, fundraising. Uh, and so until we get past that, it's just going to be a challenge. But the contributions help with that, especially in the last few weeks. And again, check us out with respect to our debate coming this Thursday so that people can see the real contrast uh, between, my and, uh, between me and my opponent. If you like what you just heard, and we hope you do, you can find more of us online at www.okistmoms.com. We're also on all social media platforms, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at okistmomsblog. Or if you want to, you can send us an email at hey at okistmoms.com.